This morning we're continuing our Unravel series, Teaching Through the Whole Bible, and we step back now this morning into two places in the Bible. Let me ask you to turn first to 2 Kings chapter 23, 2 Kings 23, and then the parallel account of those events is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We'll pick up a verse in 2 Kings 23, and then we'll move over to uh, the, the, the sort of deeper description of Josiah's life in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. I want to start the message this morning at the end. I want to see how God summarized the life of this young man named Josiah, King Josiah. I want to see how God summarized his life when his life was all over. And I want to think about that, and then I want to go back and try to figure out why his life was summed up this way and what we can perhaps learn from this. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25. This is when it's all over. It says this, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. I'll tell you, that's quite an epitaph. That's quite a summation of a person's entire life. There's no king who came before him. I mean, you think about that. Think about the kings that we have studied. David, uh, Hezekiah, great kings. The Bible says there's no king who came before him, no king who came after him, who ever matched his unwavering devotion to God. And so you might naturally assume, well, Josiah grew up in a, in a God-fearing home. He was taught the truth of God's word from an early age. He attended all the finest Christian schools, you know, to put it in our language. And so naturally he turned out this way. And to assume that would be completely wrong because his upbringing was actually as far removed from that as anyone could ever dare to get. Josiah was still a little boy when his grandfather, King Manasseh, ruled the land of Judah. Now remember, I didn't bring the map today, but uh, remember we've been talking about the divided kingdom. Israel is up north, uh, right? Uh, Samaria is their capital. They've already been uh, attacked by the Assyrians and carried off into captivity. Israel is gone. Right below that, down south, is the nation of Judah, also God's people, um, ten tribes went to the north after Solomon. Two tribes went to the south. The capital is Jerusalem. And so now we're looking at Judah down south. And so when Josiah was a little boy, his grandfather, Manasseh, was the king of Judah. Manasseh was the most evil king who ever ruled God's people. There's no match. He filled the land with pagan idols. He practiced witchcraft. He burned children alive as sacrifices to the pagan gods. Listen, even his own children. See what happens when Satan can get hold of a person's heart and mind. Manasseh burned his own children in the fires to the pagan gods. The Bible says he seduced and corrupted Israel to sin and to do more evil than all the heathen nations around them. The Bible also says that he murdered 
Manasseh murdered so many innocent people that, I quote, he filled Jerusalem with their blood from one end to the other. And this went on for more than 50 years. The worst king they ever had ruled longer than any other king they ever had. That was Josiah's grandfather. After Manasseh, his son Ammon became king, A-M-O-N. He became king and uh, began to reign, and he was Josiah's father. Ammon carried on the legacy of wickedness and murder and idolatry. The Bible says he sinned more and more. That's Josiah's grandfather and Josiah's father. Now, let's flip over to 2 Chronicles as we dig into the reign of Josiah and see how he emerged from this background. 2 Chronicles 34, let's start with verse 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, this sounds unbelievable, but if you go back through history, you'll see this has been quite a common occurrence throughout history. Mary, Queen of Scots, became queen when she was, uh, I believe, six days old. Now, of course, they're not actually running the land. They're just a, a placeholder there so that no one else can come in and break into the family line and become king or queen. So Josiah was eight when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David. That word means forefather, obviously. Ammon was his father. Walked in the ways of his forefather David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, I want us to think about this for just a moment. Almost everything Josiah had ever known and encountered in his childhood was pure evil, almost everything. He was surrounded by idol worship. He was surrounded by satanic rituals. He was surrounded by child sacrifice. And can I just tell you, we should not be reading what we just read in these two verses. We should be reading something very, very different. That Josiah grew up and became a wild, rebellious youth and spent time in therapy and ruined his life and spent his life giving excuses. Well, if you'd known my father, if you'd known my grandfather, you'd know why I turned out this way. By the way, there is some benefit to counselors or psychiatrists taking you back and exploring your past and trying to find things in your past uh, that still affect you today. There is some benefit, but be very careful. Do it with much prayer and searching the scriptures, because we can slip into a very dangerous trap of, of coming out of that type of thing, living the rest of our life blaming the people who came before us or the circumstances before us for making us the way we are. And so we live like a jerk our whole life, and we have this constant excuse, well, I'm allowed to live this way because of my past. Be very careful. But I'm just stunned to read these words we just read in verses 1 and 2 about Josiah this young man who grew up following the Lord, not departing from the, to, to the right hand or to the left, 
He followed the Lord all the days of his life. How is it possible to read such positive words about Josiah? How did he ever come out of such an evil background to be such a godly man? Well, listen, here's the first lesson we learned from his life, and this is a big one. I, I still don't really know how to come up with clever little points in sermons that all rhyme or are really short. I just put down what makes sense. Here you go. Number one, <laughs> our environment doesn't have to determine our destiny. Our environment doesn't have to determine our destiny. I would even add it doesn't have to determine our character or our destiny. Knowing Josiah's horrific upbringing almost makes these verses seem impossible, but we learn a vital lesson from his life, that our background, our environment doesn't have to determine, to dictate our destiny. Some of you came out of a background of hate or rejection or violence or abuse. I know because I've talked to you. Some of you grew up never knowing what it was like to be loved or to be wanted. I met with one of our men this week, a, a good friend, a man I respect and look up to, told me this very thing. He never heard his father say, I love you. He was abusive, beating the kids and all of this. So this is some of your stories. But listen, your past does not have to predict your future when God gets involved in it. And your past will not predict your future unless you allow it to. No one else is in control of that but you. You and God make a majority over anything and anyone that has ever come along in your past. I share one quick story with you. I'm sure you've heard the name Nicky Cruz. The Cross and the Switchblade uh, was sort of the title of his life story. Nicky grew up... Uh, one of 18 children to <clears throat> witchcraft-practicing parents from Puerto Rico. He suffered relentless mental and, and physical abuse starting at the age of three and a half and moving forward. Uh, he was beaten. He, his life was uh, almost ended on several occasions. One time, he was declared the son of Satan by his own mother who was in a trance. When Nicky was 15, his father basically booted him out and forced him to go to New York to live with uh, his father's, one of his father's uh, brothers. Nicky didn't stay there long. Instead, this angry young man, full of rage, went out and um, found his place in the gangs in New York City. He later became a, a member of the notorious New York City gang called the Mau Maus. It was, uh, that name was taken from a bloodthirsty African tribe, and they ruled the streets. He became lost in a cycle of drugs and alcohol and violence. His life took a tragic turn for the worse when one of the gang members was stabbed and beaten and died in Nicky's arms. His reputation grew, and so did his haunting nightmares. He was arrested countless times, and a court-ordered psychiatrist pronounced Nikki's fate as, quote, headed to prison, the electric chair, and hell, end quote. Here's one photo I brought of one of their arrests back in the, I don't know, maybe 1960, 61, somewhere around there. And no one was ever able to reach Nikki Cruz until he met a skinny street preacher named David Wilkerson. 
Wilkerson disarmed Nikki. He showed him something he had never known before, relentless love. His interest in Cruz was, was absolutely persistent. Nikki beat him up. He spat on him. He threatened to kill him. And Wilkerson testified years later, uh, Cruz wasn't kidding. But Wilkerson continued to show God's love, and it was stronger than any adversary Nikki Cruz had ever faced. Finally, the presentation of the gospel message and the love of Jesus Christ broke through the hard walls of Nikki Cruz's heart. And he cried out to God for forgiveness and mercy, and he was born again a new creation in Christ. And he, he dedicated the rest of his life to helping others in New York City find the same freedom. And today, at 84 years old, he's still telling other people about the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a photo of him today. Look at the joy and the light on his face. You see, that's what God can do to someone's past. This should be the story of every one of us who claim to know Christ. Knowing Christ is not signing a card and joining a church. Knowing Christ is dying to your old self and being born again as a brand new creation. You want to know why I think there are so many churches filled with so many dead, sourpuss Christians? Is because they might have been saved intellectually, but they've never been born again. They followed all the religious words, they read the track, they followed the four steps to whatever, but there's never truly been a transformation from the inside out that made them a new creation in Christ. Nicky Cruz could have let his past cripple him. He could have gone around doing crusades complaining and griping about his upbringing and how hard life is, and nobody understands my pain. He had every right to do that. But he chose to surrender his past to God. And the chains that he had been bound with were broken. Now, I, I tried, every week I try to summarize my entire sermon in one simple sentence with as few words as possible. Here's mine today. Don't let your past keep you from God's future. Don't let your past keep you from God's future. God took this young boy named Josiah out of a broken past, to say the least, and he used his life for his glory. Now, Josiah didn't start out knowing everything he needed to know about God. He had a long learning curve. And this brings us to our second point Number two, if we use the light we already have, God will give us more light. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, so he was 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molden or metal images. Now, look at verse 8. In the 18th year, now he's 26 years old, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair 
the house of the Lord his God. Now, what we, what we see happening in these verses, if we pay close attention to what I just read, we, we are looking at the progression in Josiah's life. Today, we would call it spiritual growth. We're seeing the spiritual growth slowly taking place, the maturing in his relationship with God, slowly unfolding in his life. When he was 16, you notice it says, he began to seek the Lord. And the more he sought the Lord, the more his heart was troubled about all the pagan idols in the land, and he started to be convicted that it was wrong and that they needed to go. Years later, when he was 20, he began to purge the land of all of the idols and altars. But we find out later that he didn't get rid of all of them at that time. There were still a lot of wicked things left in the land. He's growing now. He's understanding more and more, and he's walking out what he's been given, what he's learning. But as he continued to seek the Lord and grow, as the years went by, he kept purging the idols in the land of Judah more and more. And when he was 26, it says he did purge them, or he had purged them from the land of Judah. So notice it says, he began to seek the Lord, he began to purge the idols, and finally, he finished the job. There's an important spiritual lesson here for all of us. Josiah didn't have total spiritual understanding when he was eight, but even so, he began to seek the Lord. He started where he was with what he knew. Then, when he was 16, he still didn't understand everything about idols and paganism, but even so, he began to get rid of what he knew was evil. He started where he was with what he knew. Even when he was 26, and he had gotten rid of the idols in Judah, he still didn't know that much about God. We'll see that shortly. But each of these little beginnings continued to lead him to exactly where God wanted him to be, doing exactly what God wanted him to do. It all happened because of numerous little beginnings. Some Christians sit around their whole life saying, well, if I could understand everything in the Bible, then I'd really commit my life to God. Or they say, one day God will show me what he wants me to do with my life, but until then I'm just not ready to do anything. Listen, if that's the approach you're taking, you will never move an inch in your Christian life. You're going to stay right where you are. You're going to be one of those Christians I talk to every once in a while who's 60 years old, and they tell me they were saved when they were seven, and I say, man, that's incredible. You must have had an, uh, an unbelievable journey of faith. Tell me about it. Blank stare. Well, I, I'm the Sunday school director. Okay, great. What's God doing in your life? Nothing. Nothing. What you need to say, church, what you need to say, and, and you're, you're doing this so well, I'm encouraging you in this today to keep on. We need to say, Lord, I'm willing and I'm committed to step out and begin following you, obeying you, serving you from where I am right now with what I know right now. 
If I had waited, I'm not sure I should tell you this, but if I had waited until I was fully qualified to be a pastor, I would never have become a pastor. Because I'm still not qualified. Stop waiting for a better time to live for God, because that time will never come. Talked to some friends this morning. They just lost a lifelong friend out for a bike ride, gone like that. Gone. A better time to live for God will never come. Next week could be your last week on this earth. What have you done with what you've been given? Are you going to be like the old philosopher who said, um, he said, I've spent my life stringing and unstringing my instrument, but I never played the song I was meant to play. We can be caught up in a lot of busy work around the thing that we're supposed to be doing, but never actually get to the thing. I've told you before, I believe this with all my heart, especially after what happened to me last year. Listen, you are, you are still here, breathing air, have a beating heart for one reason. That's because God is not finished with you yet. He hasn't left you here to make more money. That's fine. Make all you can. And then give it to the church. There's a box right back there, by the way. I know someone, I don't know if I see her today. Man, someone uh, lovingly scolded me last week, sweet lady in our church, young lady. And she, she said, Pastor, I never hear you talking about money. And I, say, I went through the thing with her and why we do this. And, and, uh, um, but she, she's right, you know. And I know the elders are like, yeah, talk, talk a little more about that. But look, God hasn't left you here to become rich or famous or powerful. He hasn't left you here to experience more pleasure in life. All those things are fine. We were created for God. It's the only reason we're here. I mean, all the other stuff is extra he's given us to enjoy. But if you're still alive today, it's for one reason. And it's for him. I don't mean quit your career and become a missionary to Bangladesh. That's not what I'm talking about. God has placed each of you. He's planted you in the soil where he wants you to grow. Whatever that is, whether you're a barber, an accountant, a business owner, a stay-at-home mom, whatever. Stop waiting for a better time to live for God. Josiah is living proof. Listen, we're just kind of skimming his life today, but as you dig deeper, you'll see he's, Josiah is living proof that God honors and enriches and blesses and enlightens those who invest what they already have for him. With each beginning that you step out and take for God, God will illumine the path in front of you more and more. Stop waiting for this massive download of enlightenment where you're suddenly going to know everything and understand everything. It comes in little drips and drabs along the way. As you're faithful a bit today, God gives you a little bit more light. 
As you're faithful again tomorrow in those small beginnings, those small steps of faith, God gives you a little more light. He illumines your path on everything from understanding his word to knowing how to parent children to, you know, all of these things in life that we need to know and understand. Well, then something really incredible happened in the life of Josiah. He, we're told that in these following verses, I won't read them all, they go into great detail about how he chose very skilled workmen and he sent them into the temple to repair it and to restore it. He found skilled workmen in every imaginable area and he, they gathered the money to make the repairs. He sent them into the temple uh, to begin repairs on on it. And the thing we need to know is the temple, God's temple, had been sitting in disrepair for decades. The entire reign of Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, the temple had just been, um, had just been overlooked and ignored, except it was even one step worse than that. It was actually being used for pagan sacrifices and pagan rituals. There were pagan idols that had been taken into the temple. That's a forerunner of what Constantine did in the 300s. When he began the Roman Catholic Church, he brought all the pagan idols into the church and forced all the unsaved people to attend the state church and start worshiping, which is where we got the Roman Catholic Church from. I'm not knocking you if you're Roman Catholic. I love you, but I'm telling you, you're in darkness there. You're worshiping idols. I heard just the other day a man talking about praying to our Blessed Mary. Whew. I'm about to get off a side trail there. So the temple is a mess. It's not being used for God's worship. Josiah sends all these repairmen in, and, and then we read this as the repairs are underway. Verse 15. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Jump down to verse 18. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, Josiah, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. This is incredible. They're repairing the temple. Dust is flying. Saws are buzzing. Well, I don't know what they had back then, but there was a lot of work going on. And this guy comes running in, and he's carrying this dusty book, and he blows it off, and he says, look what I found. I found a copy of the law of God. Now, the irony here, I don't have time to get into this, but Hilkiah was a priest, Shaphan was a scribe. These two men of all people should have known what this was. Hilkiah recognized it, but Shaphan takes it to the king, the scribe, the one who was should have been assigned with... with um, making copies of the scriptures to give to people. He takes it and he says, I found a book. I don't know what it is. I found a book. And we get this little snapshot of just where the nation was spiritually at this time. God's word had been lost, hidden away for more than 50 years. They didn't have Hundreds of copies of God's word like we had today. They don't have three sliding around on the floorboard of their car and ten scattered around their house. They didn't have copies of God's word. It was rare. And they find this dusty old book. We don't know how it got there. We don't know exactly where it was in the temple. Perhaps 
some faithful man saw doom coming when Messiah was, was reigning and went and found a place and hid this thing away to preserve it for future generations. Well, they're in the temple working, and they find this book. They bring it to the king, and they begin to read it to him. And what we need to understand, Josiah, Josiah is still a very young man at this point. He had never seen God's word before. He had never heard God's word before read to him in his entire life. And neither had anyone in his generation. We're told that the word was lost. Yes, of course, the the faithful remnant in Judah that we've talked about a number of times, you know, they had done their best to pass the stories down of God's faithfulness and miracles and deliverance and all of these things. And no doubt that's how Josiah had picked up enough bits and pieces of the story of God uh, to want to start seeking him as we were told that he did. But no one in Josiah's generation had ever seen or held God's word. But now, all because of Josiah's hunger for God and because of the little steps of obedience he had begun, God's word that had been hidden was suddenly revealed. All because one young man had a burning passion in his heart to follow God and simply to step out where he was with the little that he knew and be obedient to God. And because of those little steps of faithfulness, God's word that had been hidden was now revealed. That's exactly how it still works today. When you've got a hungry heart for God and you're willing to step out and walk in the light that you already have, no matter how small that light may be, that which has been hidden will be revealed to you. Proverbs 4.18, I don't have this on the screen. It says, um, the, the light of dawn is like the, uh, the first gleam of day, growing brighter and brighter until the full light of day. It's a picture of our spiritual life. We begin sort of in darkness, then we get God's light. We, we, we begin to pursue it, a little glimmer of light. And it's like, as we walk with him, the sun of his enlightenment rises higher and higher and higher in our life. But it takes time. As you step out and are faithful to God with the little light that you already have or the lot that you already have, he will reveal more to you. Things you've never seen in his word are going to become plain to you, all because you had a hungry heart for God and you were willing to step out and walk in the light you already had. That's how faith works. Again, I tried to summarize this as, as briefly as I could, perhaps so we would remember it. I want to put this on the screens for you to see. Faith will never grow until it is exercised. Faith will not grow on its own. We've got to take those steps of faith. And as you do, God will increase your faith. We've got to walk in the light. And as you do, God will increase the light on your path. Josiah hears God's word read to him for the first time. And he realizes how far from God the nation has actually strayed. Verse 19, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And we find several verses later, he not only tore his clothes, which is a sign of great sorrow and mourning, but it says he also humbled himself before God and he wept when he heard God's word. As soon as the word of God struck his heart, 
It brought clarity and conviction. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy word gives light. This is why I plead with you all the time. Get into God's word. Maybe for a while, stop reading books about the Bible and start reading the Bible. You say, it's hard. Give me a break. I mean, I can point you to some places in Scripture that your tongue will be tripping all over itself and tied in a knot by the time you try to read the paragraph. Yes, but that's not the whole Bible by a long shot. Get into the Bible. Where do I start? I don't know. Ask God. Start somewhere. I don't care if you've got a leather-bound Bible. I don't care if you got it on your phone. I don't care if you listen to it in your car. There are a thousand ways we can get God's Word today. There's no excuse for immature Christians. I'm sorry. There's just not. The more we get into his word, the more what happened to Josiah will happen to us. This is what God's word does to us. Oh, man, you read some places in God's word, it fills you with joy and delight and wonder and hope and excitement and thankfulness. But God's word also does something else. It breaks us. It grinds us to powder sometimes. And you know what? We need that. I don't know about you. I need that. I need to be submitted to God's word constantly in my life. Constantly. I'm thankful to be married to someone who for 34 years, every day I've woken up for 34 years, she's there in her Bible. Drives me nuts. I can't keep up with that. I'm like, would you please just skip a week or something? Make me feel better. You know, make me feel human. Every day, she's there with her Bible and her notebook. This is how the Christian life must be anchored. This is how it must be fueled. We can't go on whims and hopes and and, and wishful thinking. We've got to have God's word in our heart. My dad used to say, son, God's word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from God's word. It's your choice. Josiah hears the word. He is broken. He humbles himself before God. And nobody taught him how to do this. He weeps before God. He tears his clothes. No one told him he needed to do that. This was the Holy Spirit moving through the power of God's word. But listen, listen. Tears and conviction alone are not proof of repentance. See, we can get in a service where they've got the music tweaked just right. They've got those, I don't know what they're called, minor chords or something. They hit you and you get the goosebumps and it's like, before you know it, you're caught up. In, and again, there's nothing wrong. I love, I love the, the feeling of worship. I, I don't know if I said that wrong. If I did, forgive me. And I think you know what I'm saying. I love worshiping with other people and the, the sense of that is beautiful to me, but that's not where it's at. You can go to a rock concert and be moved. Doesn't mean you've experienced repentance. So Josiah is weeping. He's falling down. He's tearing his clothes. It's all wonderful, but that's not proof of repentance. The Bible says this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's where the rubber meets the road. 
If real change has come, it will show up in our life. You can't stop it. No more than you can stop the rain. And that's exactly what happened to Josiah. And this is our third and final point. Number three, we must hear God's word and obey it. You go, wow, that's really profound, Phil. I've heard that since I was five. Yo, let's hear it again. Need to hear it again, because you know what? For the most part, we're not doing it. We hear God's word a lot. But I'm telling you, I, I, couldn't, I can't take in four or five sermons a week. I can't absorb and process that much in a week. And the danger of that is it begins to just roll off your back. You don't even hear it anymore. Again, I listen to sermons all the time. I try to pursue all that kind of stuff in my own time. But we've got to be careful that we're not, we don't become professionals at hearing God's word and not doing God's word. Like, if you listen to that many sermons a week, can you really live all of that out? I can't. And so what does that do to us? It teaches us subtly to hear God's word and do nothing about it. I'm just saying, be careful. Verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Verse 31, then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah took God's word after he heard it. He took God's word as his rule of conduct and his final authority, not only for himself, but for the whole nation. And what happens to leaders, to people, to families, even to nations that do that? Our last verse, verse 33. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord the God of their fathers. Now, we've got to read that very carefully because maybe you're thinking, oh, well, back several verses earlier, it said he began to seek the Lord, he began to purge the land of the idols, and then he did purge all the land from the idols. Remember, he's down in Judah. Read this very carefully. It says now he's moved up to Israel. He's gone across the border, and now he's going and he's hitting people up in Israel who are supposed to be their brothers in Christ, but they've divided, you know, different denominations. They took their ball and went home kind of thing. Josiah now crosses the border. He goes up to Israel and he says, hey, we're not excluding you. You're part of God's family. I'm challenging you. I'm calling you today 
to purge the land of the idols. I've done it in Judah. You need to get busy up here. And he calls, he, he publicly declares that he is going to live for God, and he calls the entire nation to live for God. Now are you beginning to see why a boy from such horrific upbringing could have what we read said about him at the end of his life? Josiah's little steps of obedience all along the way, even though he didn't have all the answers at the time, even though he didn't know all the right things to do at the time, he acted upon what he did know, and it ended up impacting an entire nation. And I can't ever read the story of Josiah without thinking about our own nation and just how far into wickedness and evil we have sunk. Hey, we're not slipping into evil anymore. We're running headlong into it. And I'm telling you folks, as a nation, we are storing up God's judgment for ourselves. Out of all the problems our nation has, I can tell you this with assurance. Our nation doesn't need more money. Our nation doesn't need more tanks and planes and missiles. Our nation doesn't need more politicians, heaven help us. Our nation doesn't need better infrastructure or better housing or better education. Our nation needs God. That's what we need. Nothing less will fix this nation. Nothing. And the, and the life of Josiah provides a blueprint for all of us as individuals, as families, as churches, and as a nation of what it looks like to come back to God. We need holy conviction to fall upon our nation, for our leaders and for our citizens to fall down before God in repentance and return to the very things that once made us great. Boy, we need this today. I pray that God would draw every heart here today and every heart across this land back to the truth of his word and back to obedience to his word. There's absolutely nothing that will turn a nation around faster than that. That's a little glimpse into the life of of Josiah. I pray that God will apply this to our hearts where we need it. Let's pray. Father, you, your word has left us with no excuse, no loophole, no way out. None of us here today, I don't care what we've been through in life, none of us has an excuse for not seeking you, for not living for you. for not being that agent of change in whatever corner of the world you've placed us in. And Lord, uh, you know, a skilled pastor could stand up and guilt people into living for God. But Lord, I, I can't and don't want to twist anybody's arm into doing this. I'm praying instead that holy conviction would fall into our hearts. And that you would fill us with the hunger that we need to pursue you and to live for you. Make us hungry for you, God. Make us want 
to want you. I pray that for every person listening to my voice right now. Make us hungry and thirsty for you. So that we run to you, the living bread and the living water. God, we thank you for this peek into your word today. I pray it would not be wasted. I pray it would not fall on deaf ears. I pray, God, you would plant this deep into the soil of our heart, and I pray that it would bear fruit for years to come for your glory. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.